Amen. Welcome, guys and girls. How you guys doing? Did you guys get kicked out of another class or something, or what happened? <laughs> Brennan's sick. Brennan's sick. Brennan's sick? Yeah. Okay. So we got Noel, Zaley, July 29th, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, Zeke. Wow. Zeke, I don't know you. Nathan. Nathan, do you have a last name? Herrera. What is it? Herrera. Herrera? Okay. Nathan. Nathan Herrera. Yes. Very good. And I know you guys are Reeds. <laughs> I don't know your names though. Abigail. Abigail. Joshua. Joshua. Abigail, Joshua. Nathan. Nathan. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you guys ever, I can't remember the name of the game show, but you can phone a friend. <laughs> yeah. Will of Fortune? No. Um, no. Millionaire. Millionaire. D. Who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. yeah. All right. Probably. So tell you what we're talking about today, Abigail, Nathan, Joshua, Seeker. <laughs> What's that? Yep. <laughs> That's right. What's the matter? Did I do something wrong? No. We call them that anyway. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Seekers. Seekers. Call okay. Seekers. Yeah. Okay. Seekers. So okay. we're gonna we're gonna ask okay. Noel, right? It says it right there. Yeah, it does. Oh, give it away. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're gonna ask you guys all these questions. Okay. <coughs> you know why? It's important to understand what you think about things. Now, I know you guys haven't been in this class much. You got kicked out. I know you. some of you were here. Actually, some of you were here last time I was here. Yeah. Have you been there since? No. No? Just no? you. Just you. Oh, I forget. I came in. You're hiding back there. <laughs> you're reading a book? Yeah, audio book. Audio book? Like you're supposed to be in class here. Reading. Live mixing. Sort of. Sort of. I need to so this, is, this class is optional. Yeah. <laughs> you can read that at home. Yeah. Was that was that a, like a nose up at your parents? Was that yeah, a it, was a it was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. All right. Okay. So you guys in front, and you in the, especially you in the back, you called yourself out. Don't forget Ethan. Ethan. Wow. Yeah, Ethan. Wants to be called out. They all had to. So this is sort of a mixed class, which I find very interesting. So the question is, is where do we direct the questions at? Now you're you're a psychologist, right? And so are you. And you like deal with these kind of age group sort of kids, is that correct? So you're gonna tell me if I'm doing this right or wrong, is that correct? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not at work today. Not at work today? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a day, Larry. All right, it's a day. All right. So kind of just so what we've been talking about in this book, this thing right here is the Christian mind, kind of like how we think. Today the subject is what we call is worldview thinking. So we have to start with the question, Abigail, what would be that honest, the first question you might ask about a worldview? What is worldview? What is a worldview? So, Joshua, mm -hmm. what is a worldview? Oh. So, remember from a friend, mm -hmm. you got lots of smart adults surrounding you, mm -hmm. you can't ask your parents. Because he's teaching this class, he knows all the answers, okay? <laughs> oh, Larry. But I have a feeling he knows what the answer is. That'd be lame. Um, That'd be lame? You can't go. He knows the answer. 
I can't call on him. But he no. probably does have the answer. I'm just I'm calling him. I just I'm just giving that as an option. I'm not I'm not reflecting on anything. Just just an option. Um, everybody's rooting for you, okay? This is like sitting mm-hmm. on stage with an audience, yeah. but everybody's looking at you. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think by saying that, you're giving me a lot of pressure. Dang, that sucks. I think what a worldview is, is pretty much like specifically what one person perceives about, I guess, the world around them. I feel like the word is a little bit self-explanatory. So um, it's how you perceive things, and it might be different from other people's worldview. Um, so like, uh, I could think that chocolate is very bad, but a lot of other people could think chocolate is very good. And so that's <coughs> their like worldview on it, I guess. On chocolate? Yeah. Okay. The deep issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so someone, I think the, the word you used that I like is perception very good? It's kind of how we perceive things, how we receive things. It's it's also well after we perceive things, what happens after that? It's how we after we receive some information, what do we do with it? We use it, send it out. Yeah, respond to it. It's kind of partly goes both ways. How we understand and see things, and then maybe how we respond to things as well. Is that correct? So. Is it important to have a worldview? That's that, that's a bad question. It's kind of a yes or no question. Plus, this is all about worldview. So, what's the obvious answer, Zeker? Yes. Yes. Okay. Why? Uh, why? I'm not going to point you out, but why? <laughs> why is it important to have a worldview? You have a worldview. I mean, you really can't act upon anything. You can't input your own ideas. You can't um, really help in any way. It's it's you're good. It's good to have a worldview and understand what's around you. That way, you can use that information to benefit you in your progression through life. Not only you, but hopefully others. Yeah. Others, right? We're 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 on this world to help, to love. Others. That's a worldview in and of itself, right? So that's good. So it's really important to learn how to think about things in order to act on them in a hopefully biblical manner, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about biblical worldview. But again, it gives us a framework. Anybody know what that is? Frame. It's a frame. Anybody know what that is? Bifocals. Bifocals. Yes. I have progressives. I'm hiding the fact that I don't want anybody to know that I can't see well. So I therefore I have bifocals. Alright? So that's another worldview is I'm somewhat vain and I don't know I don't want anybody to know that I have deficiencies or problems or issues. Okay? That's true. I don't. I hide stuff. We hide stuff all the time. So I, I, that was a great answer. That was a great answer is because we, it teaches if we have a worldview, then we know how to respond, hopefully in a manner that is productive, that is polite, that is loving. And that's a worldview in, again in and of itself. Yes, sir? Wouldn't you say that everyone has a worldview? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. What do you think? I think everyone has a worldview. Even, even a baby 
has a worldview. What's so Their worldview is extremely narrow. Okay. When do I get food? When do I sleep? When do I get changed after I poop my diaper? Okay. That's it. You know. So, but everyone I think has a worldview that expands from there, and it's your starting point for how you see the entire world. It's it's the it's the the preconceptions that you have that allow you to filter what you see into what you would consider reality. And I'm not saying it's my reality versus your reality. Sure. It's how you perceive reality. Okay. Yes, sir. So to expand on that, I'm not sure that a baby in a very loose way we could say will be. Yeah. Just in terms of perception. Yeah. I think when I'm thinking about worldview, it's more organized than that. So either you see the world as the most disorganized and you're a victim and you're just like, like what you're saying, it's like you can't take action because it's such a swirling chaos. You're just part of it. Or that you do have some, based on how you see it organized, you see a way that you can assert yourself and cause some things to happen. A baby, even when they're little, one of my professors, like they're sitting there like, what is that thing? Oh gosh, now it's gone. It's like they're they're beginning to they're beginning beginning to perceive. So I think when I'm thinking about worldview, it goes beyond just simple perception, but it's more of a organized thought process of how the world is constructed. So I would say that as we get older into past toddlerhood, because there are even things that they do and they don't know that they're acting on it, it's still more of a response sort of issue. But it's starting to form. Um, but it's more of a constructive perception of how the world is ordered or to what extent and where we fit into it. So what you're saying is more like reasoning comes in. Like a toddler cannot, you cannot reason with a toddler. But when they get older, you can reason with that. With well, them. And so it, it takes a little bit more intellect. I, and I'm not sure about the intellect piece of it because that's, but it's more like, even like a nihilist would say that everything happens and then it's destroyed and I'm just a speck in it and what does it even matter? That would be a worldview versus mm -hmm. um, that's true, which means I could do anything I want. Morals don't really matter except what's important to me, so it's my truth. Or I think that there's something external to all of this reality that created the reality or that I'm functioning within it. And then it's even what's your relationship to that outside force that created it all. So I guess I'd say those are more the way I'm thinking like worldview, like how perception, like what you're perceiving, how it's constructed, the underlying mechanisms and stuff, and what our role is in it, as opposed to just perception. I think perception is like the beginning of where worldview starts and how you start making connections to what you perceive. Can I ask a question? Because to be honest with you, when you say the word worldview, Immediately to my mind, I'm going, as opposed to whose view? Because what I think is we have God's view of how things are supposed to be done, how it's supposed to be organized, and gives us a Bible to help us understand how to live. Okay, then you look at the world's view, and you say, man, these people are screwed up. And it doesn't line up with the Word of God. So is that the focus? point that we're on or is that is is there a world view that you guys have that we I don't understand I think you're thinking of 
worldview as what does the world think, but but you're talking about worldview is like how you see the world. Your worldview is how you see the world, not, not what the world is seeing. A worldly view. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which leads into probably question number two, which is what is a biblical worldview? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the transition, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Just a <sit> down <laughs> Go ahead, Mom. Oh, no, no, that doesn't... No, no. <laughs> I set you up. You gotta, you gotta keep going. I was providing. <laughs> so, so, Mr. Roberts brings up a good question. He says the start of a worldview. We're talking about worldview. Okay. All right? You know what that is? Worldview? Yeah. Do you guys talk about this at the table a lot? Yeah, all the time. All the time. So we're just kind of getting the definition of the world. It's kind of a framework. It's a personal thing about how we see or view or interact with the world. <clears throat> Mr. Rivera talked about worldview. Babies have a worldview. Mr. Roberts, who you may know or may not, <laughs> disagreed with him adamantly, <laughs> violently, <laughs> to the point where he felt it was just predominantly a perception. <laughs> he said that's where the worldview begins. But now I ask you all, in the front rows, minus you two, and you, and you, and you. Where does the worldview stop being formed? When? When does it happen? I think it's always changing. Always changing. Yeah. So, that doesn't answer the question. What was the question? Good answer. But what's the answer to the question? The answer is never. <laughs> Okay, Josh says consistent. Josh says when when you go to sleep. Not exactly. <laughs> Is he referring to as a permanent sleep? Permanent sleep. When you die. At last, sleep. Yeah. So really, I think that's a good point, and that's one of the things that's important to remember. Is I think worldviews, our our personal worldviews, are constantly changing. How is it? Why is it going to change? As we what? What happens? We receive new information. New information. We get new information. We learn more. We talk more. We read more. We interact, hopefully, with others more. We go to church more. Well, we go to church. We get illuminated by Scripture to kind of help us understand, you know, biblical principles that we can hopefully apply to certain situations. So I don't think it ever ends. That wasn't a question that was on there. Oh, so... Mrs. Reed asked the question, what is a biblical worldview? I'm not going to point at you again. Uh, when I point at you, you ever see Moneyball? No. Anybody see Moneyball? Yeah, no. Okay. When you go home, watch Moneyball. <laughs> is it appropriate? Uh, there's some language that needs to be cleaned up a little bit. If it's just language, then it's okay. Yeah, it's just language. He hears that all the time, so. Not from us. <laughs> Cats out of the bay. So, remember that point. Uh, Billy Bean. Worldview. Biblical worldview. A worldview through uh, the knowledge of the Bible. So, like you said, uh, our our perspective is always changing through new information. Well, we have received information, and this information is the Bible. Um, 
which can drastically alter the perspective of a, sp a specific worldview, uh, for the better or for the worse. Uh, the worse being um, the reluctancy to use the information, uh, the better using that information through uh, Jesus Christ. Okay. All right, Josh? Since How many Josh's we got? Okay. Oh. <laughs> To differentiate Joshua Josh. <laughs> Is it Joshua? I'm also Joshua. Joshua. <laughs> I, I just I just really like this Joshua. Do you want Josh or do you <laughs> I like the I like the uncertainty. <laughs> 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 <Josh. laughs> Since you set up a dichotomy between the worldview and the biblical worldview, I would argue that the default position is a worldview that's that is isolated in the kingdom of man's soul, so completely void any kind of uh, knowledge of God, and the biblical worldview basically reframes that perspective from self to God, and creates or rather recognizes the authority that's that's in place uh, through the Word. What do you guys think about that answer? Noel, you're pastor's kid, right? <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> right? You have a different view on things? Yeah. Not even my dad. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty good answer. That was a very good answer. So, Terry, I think the biblical worldview starts with the first thing we think of if we're trying to make a decision about something in the world that, okay, I'm going to look at it this way. I understand it this way. The center of that is, this is my father's world. That's the first thing that comes to mind. And what does he say about this? Because he's addressed everything. We have everything we need to have in his written word and by the power of the Holy Spirit within us to know what he's saying about any view about anything. And now, whether we always take advantage of that is is the real question. But when I when you put that up there, the first thing that came to my mind was, this is my father's world. And that's how I want to make my understanding. I, what do you well, think of that answer? Yeah, to uh, like the, the difference between a human's worldview and uh, God's worldview is that we're sinners, and not all of us can realize that. Which one's closer to reality? Asher? Which one's Asher? Asher and Ethan. The one with the hair. What's that? They both have hair. Wow. Yeah. Which reality is closer? God's reality? You guys talk about this at the table? Yeah. Yeah. Good parents you have. Contradictory. I mean, he is the absolute view. 
we should have. We, what we're seeing right now is completely the destruction of our society by people who have differing views. And they need to get in line with his view, is what I think. So our current reality is not that of God's. It is uh, a, a wrong reality, but it is still the reality. That when you say the current reality, you mean the reality of the pe majority of the people in this room? Or it is the prevailing thing on the earth? The, yeah, on the earth. So okay. the entire world's reality is sin. Okay. It's not aligned with God's. So their view, their whatever it is, reality, which is not really reality, because reality is the fact, is, is God's reality. That's the correct reality. Amen. That's the truth. Right. Just even on the one subject of what is a man, what is a woman? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Simple. Sure. Well, with, even with some of the, I guess, conversations today, God is the author of reality. Since he created it. And there's some people who say, well, you should just trust the offer, even when you're writing books and other things. And there's other people who say, no, you can create your own truth within the book was written or the piece that was created and turn it into what you want it to be, which I think is kind of where I agree with Maya in terms of there's altered like perspectives of reality. It's like God is the author, but then people want to interpret it the way they want to. Well, many times I think we always think um, the author of something is, is chaos if it's not believed, in, it's not laid out in the Bible. Because you need that as the, your reference point to view everything else. And to be honest with you, to me, it's a very comforting thing to know that I can look at the Bible and it gives me the answers immediately and I, I don't have to be confused by anything. But what, what a lot of people want to do is inter interject their own personal view, which causes a lot of chaos and frustration for people. Because who's right? Well, I say you got to have a reference person. That's God. That's, that's his word. There's a hand over here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that directly relates to what Ron just said. There's a reality, but we distort that reality. And that's exactly what Romans 1 says. Now, that, what I just said... <coughs> betrays my worldview. My worldview is that there is a God and that he has given us his word and that his word is trustworthy and therefore I can use his word as the lens by which I see everything in the world. So I have this almost circular reasoning that says God exists, he wrote the Bible, so I believe the Bible, and then the Bible tells me about who God is, and so there's this, it's seemingly circular, right? It's a valid circular reasoning, though. It, but it's a valid circular reasoning. We have a point of information 
Okay. We have an external reference. We have an objective external reference. We have the source of truth who has given us the ability to understand who he is just by what has been made. And then he's given us another ability to understand who he is by what he has revealed in Scripture. Through the Spirit. Yes. Well, I believe one thing the Bible shows very seriously, clearly that God doesn't change. He is a reference for what's supposed to be in life. And what is happening now is people are interjecting that they know better than God. I'm going, you, are you that crazy? The action. And that's been the case since Adam and Eve. Right. It is crazy. Right. That's not something new. Right, right. It is crazy. It is coming out more and more, though. And that's my personal testimony, right? I think that's all of our personal testimonies, that we know better than God until he informs us otherwise through the... Anyway, I wanted to uh, backtrack for a second to the baby thing. I, I'm somewhere between Damien and Ron, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think to a certain degree, babies do have a worldview because... Their worldview is that if I cry, I get attention, and whenever whenever this bundle of cells says that I'm hungry, and I also cry, I get food and stuff like that. The reason why I point this out though is because the worldview is what we it's like a lens that we receive information through our perception, but it also informs our decision making. And to not make a decision is to, to make a decision, right? So to decide not to act is an action. Um, but it's very possible for us to act in contradiction to our, our, um, our framework of belief, I guess. So just because we've developed a worldview uh, doesn't mean that we always... Follow through with that perfectly. Right. Sure. Paul says that explicitly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And seven. Okay, so then is there a difference between a view of the world and a world view? It's the same thing. thing. I think it's the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, one. Because one. it sounds like. They, I, I would say they could be, but some of them, are, it's almost, you might think it's instinct, you may not be able to explain it. Or another one, if you can explain it, I think that might be your view of the world, like you can explain that. The right. worldview, I think there's some people that act in ways and they can't explain why they're acting, it feels like instinct. But the instinct is based on how they're perceiving and wanting to take action or inaction right. in the world. Because we can explain that why a baby, you know, can, why it cries, why it, what it sees. Right. Do you have to be able to explain a thing to, for it to be true? Absolutely not. So let me uh, <laughs> redirect mm-hmm. a bit, just because not that this conversation is unimportant. There's kind of some things that are central about, that, that are kind of of most importance when we talk a worldview, especially a biblical worldview. And Eileen said that very eloquently just a few minutes ago. It's God's world. So he has... He has laid out for us through the scripture, through the help of the Holy Spirit and through prayer, how to interact. He's given us commandments, two commandments, which seem to be kind of overarching about a lot of our thinking are what? Ethan? 
I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass you in front of your parents. You, you can phone a friend. You can phone a friend. It's <laughs> just the one time I zone out. I like that honesty. Yes. So the, the question is two commandments, most important, that kind of give an overarching sort of direction on how we should kind of respond to things. The two most important commandments have to do with love. You can phone a friend, it's not your parent. Have to do with love. <laughs> love somebody God. with your heart. And good. And love your neighbor. Love your seeker. Love your seeker as yourself. <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of our that's kind of our response to things when we start talking about difficult things. You know, because I think about you know we'll 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 just kind of leave it at that. We'll, 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 we're going to go to some other things in just a second. But those are two overarching principles that we kind of have to. That kind of overlie our response to things. Why is that important? Because what if someone you know treats us incorrectly? Go back to those rules. What do we do? How do we treat? We love them. Why God commands us to love those people, commands us to love our enemies. So that's a response. Well, how does that apply to war? That's a different thing. But it's still, we love our neighbors. We have to protect our families. That's loving, but yet. We have another force that's out here that you know is perceived as evil. That's a that's a that's a difficult subject. Interesting thought though. How do you think about war? We have to we have to think about these things because these are important. Because, like, who's getting ready to be old enough to join the military? How old are you, Joshua? Fifteen. Fifteen. Sophie has to keep saying her stuff all the time. Are you going to be joining the Marines? Marines but they really want me to. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. It's good to be wanted by somebody. But these things could come up. These are important things that kind of have to ask. You kind of have to work through these things. God says to love people, but yet we're sometimes called to war. We're also, we have to, you know, uh, submit to our government. All right? To a degree. But we have to think through those. We have to, we have to think through these processes, okay? I'm going to ask you the third question. It has nothing to do. We're going to, we're going to leave the diaper thing on the diaper table, okay? <laughs> right, now you guys, you guys can go back afterwards and talk about that. Why is it helpful to understand others' worldview? Let's just say non-believers' worldview. Why is it important? be able to explain to them what they need to do according to God's reference. Okay. Explain what they need to do according to God's reference. Is there a biblical example of that? Where someone named Paul might have gone on one of his missionary journeys. He went to Greece, right? And one of the things that he did is he spent a long time trying to understand their perspective so that he could frame the gospel in terms that they could understand. Right? But couldn't he have framed it without understanding them at all? I think he could have, but I think 
just more effective. It's much more effective, but he'd have, a, I, I, and it also shows that he cares. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, a lot of this, there's a danger to worldviews, and that's just this, this exact thing, <laughs> is that you can kind of get into, you can make it almost like legalism, where you need to do this, and you need to do that, and that's, that's not how it should be framed. It should be the things that we do, our motivation for any of these things should be love. And I think with Paul, the answer to your question, Jeff, is yes, but I think he's going to be much more effective. You know, again, he commands us to do, you know, when we talk to people about the gospel, do so with out of love and understanding and concern as opposed to the fist, which would be the Roman way to do things. Now, there's times for that, but I'd say the majority would be not. And as God's children, we can see how God has has condescended toward us like could god have had the very god who spoke light into existence could have just spoken salvation into existence for each and every one of us true but he condescends and gives us words and stories that we understand that he used anthropomorphic language to to condescend to us so if our father has condescended to us to make himself known to us Shouldn't we as his children do the same to a lost world, go to them and condescend and have compassion and care and concern? Yeah, we see this too in the scripture because uh, Jesus would, uh, when he healed people, he would tell them to go back to their own people. Uh, you see him telling, um, uh, uh, sending Paul, uh, to the, uh, sending one to the Jews, one to the Gentiles. And you see missionaries when they go out, uh, the most effective missionaries have been the missionaries that go there and try to learn the culture first and then interact. But a lot of times the most effective missionaries is someone from the same culture. And so uh, someone from a Muslim background that gets saved will have a more effective, will be more effective going back into a Muslim community because he already knows the uh, the people, the worldview, and those kind of things, and he knows how to maneuver in there better than someone, usually better than someone that's never been in that in in that community. Sure, I agree. I'll give an example here. Second, first, I got to ask Josh. Why is it helpful to understand other others' worldviews? I think it is a it is a matter of the commandments that you're talking about, loving neighbor, for instance, uh, it gives us compassion uh, for people. Um, it, it's it's also a, a way to stay humble, if you will. So, for instance, there are you know atheists out there that probably understand their worldview better than I understand my own. Uh, only in God's grace do I have the biblical worldview. But there are there are non-Christians uh, that they understand their belief system better than I would, right? And so there's a certain level of humility that I would approach them with that, that you know, somehow I, I have the right worldview in my worldview, but does that make sense? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's like people don't just have beliefs for no reason. They... The other issue is you're, you're generating, you know, you have empathy towards mm -hmm. that person, and hopefully you're gaining a friend. You want to, right. you're developing a relationship, you know, with them. Hopefully it'll get to a point where maybe they'll ask you about where did you develop your, 
you know, worldview on things. How did you do that? Mr. Roberts. Well, and not to go back all the way to the baby thing. <laughs> yeah, stop it's, it's, it's stop. about for just general perception. It's like it starts with self and not self, so other. And so loving God and others, it's like me, not me, which is another version of me versus like the creator. So it's like, and part of, I'd say, to answer your question is, which seems very basic, but it's not, is that everybody's not me. And if you try to share stories or you do things, but it's really about you, the other person has no value. So then it comes across as being manipulative or conniving or because it's really about you. So to be able to do that, it's like you let the other person know they actually have value beyond just yourself, but it's not just about you, but they actually do matter in this conversation. And then it contributes to communication because you're taking into account their thoughts and their perceptions and all that as well as your own. So it's about both, not just you, which is, I think, important. Well, it reminds me a little bit of what I was trying to remember because um, Ron did mention this last week about worldview and how um, he uses the teacher it. from last week? Roberts, yeah. Ron Roberts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and how he said that he builds. Um, that's part of his training process when he gets a new group of um, people who come in and he trains them and he asks them, you know, their basic worldview because then he can build on that. He knows from what, what angle they're coming from and then he can, he can build on that. So I think it gives us an opportunity to, to see in the mind of a person and to be able to use that um, to reach them for Christ. It gives us a foundation, a, a springboard from which to, to leave, I guess. I think to whoever brought up the compassion piece, I think it's so important because there's nothing that drives me more crazy than people that under the name of Christianity, well, especially with politics and everything that's mean, and like they'll get so angry and want you know, pound somebody with their beliefs, and I'm like, that's not doing any, nobody's going to listen to you with that, because you're just, Crazy. all you're doing is saying you're better than them, I know the right way, and whatever you think is stupid, you know, so I, I hate that, because it just gives, gives everybody a bad name, pretty much, and it's not, it doesn't get you anywhere, because people know you don't care about them, you just care about trying to get your point across. It really doesn't even matter if you're right or not. At that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're not going to listen to you. And that's where some of this worldview stuff kind of has to be. That's a downside to this worldview component. There's that. You you don't want to fall into that, like what Dixie said, I'm right, you're wrong. That's not, you are right, but that's nothing to hold over them. That's nothing to, um, you know, uh, because that, that that's an incorrect view. It's nothing even to pat yourself on the back over because it, it was not you didn't build it up yourself. It was right. given to you as a gift. Yeah. Mary, I like one-liners, and I have another one. Give me a one-liner. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Seek first to understand, and then to be understood. Glad you brought I really that. like that. Yeah. Is that a biblical somewhere? I don't know, pastor, <laughs> that biblical somewhere? Right, find something similar. I think it's probably so. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, seek first to seek first to understand. <clears throat> I, I think that'll be that would be a Stephen Covey thing, for sure. Is to 
He said you learn, you can learn, you can win a lot of people. And, and I, I know it's if it's true, it's it's good. There's probably a biblical component to that. Mm. But he, he gave lots of examples in his book about, and I'm not trying to sell his book, but he gave lots of examples of just listening to that person. You know, one him just it's the relationship that you're you're trying to develop and, and love and compassion. There's probably there's probably a, like a psychologist that could help me understand the actual terminology here, but there's different functions of our brain. Like you'll have uh, a higher level, like like active cognitive reasoning happening versus a lower level automation. And so I think part of the worldview is ask, or answers the question, how do I love in this situation or in this context? Uh, it's, it requires more of us. It requires uh, like an active participation and not just kind of running on, you know, some kind of a um, instinct, I guess you could say. So, you know, a homeless person walks up and they're wanting money. Is, is, it, is it truly loving to just give them money? Or would it be more loving to sit with them in that situation and, and talk to them for a little bit? And I think a lot of the times what we can do out of the name of love is probably the opposite of what would be truly loving. How long do you go, Phil? 10. Like, I went to 10.05. 10.15? I went to 10.15. You can take a one minute over for every class of student you have. <laughs> so, 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 I was thinking of doing a brief sort of exercise in this whole concept of Christian worldview versus a secular worldview on social justice. Would that be helpful to you all? Zaley, you want to do it? Sure. You're just saying that. That's a, it's a yes. yes. <laughs> I really want to do it. <laughs> I still can't tell. I can't tell. I can't tell if she's man, is she manipulating me or what is she doing? She wants to. She do really. It. She do really it. wants. To. Yeah, yeah. I really want to. Really? <laughs> it, it is. Tell you the truth. Really? Yeah. She's not gonna. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'm not sure if I would in that case. Exactly. If I were her age. Let's, so I just want to kind of kind of talk about. You know that, and just kind of, just kind of compare and contrast. You know, sort of the the idea of social justice. Is social justice, first of all, is it a, is it a biblical thing? And what? And again, the next question is, what is it? I'm going to, Jeremy. What is social justice? Well, through the biblical worldview, I think it really plays out in how we love our neighbors. And you see this. You know, if if uh, your Bible has the non-inspired headings, you see this, I believe, in Exodus 20, chapter 21, social justice. And God, after giving his commandments, goes through and says, this is how, some, this is how my commandments play out in your day-to-day -day relationships. Even talking about having servants and, and when, do you, when do you allow your servants to go? And if your servants have children while they're under your care, who do these children belong to? And how do you treat them and all these things? And... That's through that kind of biblical worldview. It's really how how the love of God plays out through our lives to the world around us. Yeah, and there's a specific population that kind of both the secular and the Christian view might look at as maybe the object of those 
what would it be? And actually, I think God punished Israel for not taking care of this particular group of people, mm. groups of people. Which were they? Do you know? I immediately widows and orphans. Orphans. Widows? Yeah. The lower orphans. And then the sojourners, right? Mm -hmm. Those are kind of another group. So really, probably both people might, you know, the the both the Christian and the secular worldview might look at both of these groups as the same, kind of similar. The disadvantage, the people who, who for whatever reason, you know, may have, have been dealt a, a difficult situation, and it's not maybe no no fault of their their own. You see, homeless people become homeless because they've got they spent all their savings on a sickness or an illness or a hospitalization. Next thing you know, they're out of a home. That's happened before. Things have happened. I mean, there's other other reasons, but um, so so both people will uh, sort of uh, apply to this to this particular the, the disadvantage. Those people who can't fend for themselves, legitimately can't fend for themselves. Okay. Um, so, what is in social justice? What, from a secular standpoint, what are they after? Equality of outcome. Equality, equality, and even another egalitarian. Reparations. Actually, they even mean even more egalitarianism. They want everybody to be the same. They want everybody to have the same amount of property, same amount of money, same amount of, of rights, all those things they want. And this is what that girl, her name is Claire, was kind of suggesting. I go, you know what that sounds like, Claire? What, what frame of, what, yeah, communism. Mm -hmm. It sounds like communism or socialism, okay? When you try to distribute, take everything and just distribute it evenly, okay? Does that work? No. Doesn't work? No. All right? Never has. All right? Well, you just haven't had someone that's moral with me to get it done. <laughs> so who, who is going to solve the problem from a Christian perspective? Christ. Christ. And how has he done that? Has he done it already? No. His written word? To a certain degree, maybe he's done it. Maybe it's not fulfilled completely 100% until he comes back. But how, is he, how does he, what makes everything equal? Well, salvation is available. Salvation. The gospel equalizes everybody. We're all in the same field. We have no, our standing before God is the same regardless, right? How does the secular world solve the problem? Government. Take government. Justice. Yeah. Government, yeah. Take everything to the lowest common denominator. So government, uh, legislation. Justice system. Justice system. We'll, we'll put a star here. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> it's a star. So the justice system. So secular system, justice system. What is the premise about... The desire for egalitarianism on the secular side. There's a premise that there's a difference between rich people and poor people, and what is that premise? Privilege. How does how does the rich person get rich? Oh, by right. suppressing oppressing yes. the poor. Exactly, exploiting the poor. Is that for real? No. Now, in some cases. There, some so, cases yeah. it is. I think yeah. in some governments, it, it, it certainly is true. Yeah. You'll see that in different places. I think Korea. Korea. 
I think actually the place that I've got, been to, like Nicaragua, <clears throat> Nicaragua is kind of that way. But so so there's sort of an incorrect premise. Again, sometimes it's not. It's true. Sometimes it's not. But like in this country, would that be the case? Probably still the same question is sometimes. Okay, but not in general. All right. Okay, so that it is um, rich suppress the poor. Does this make sense? So what is it? What is on the Christian side when it comes to money? Is money a bad thing? No. No. No, it's not. Okay. What is it? We are stewards of our money, right. which yes. is a responsibility. Mm -hmm. Which I'm glad there are people who have a lot of money and people who have a lot of money and give it away uh, for the right reasons. Okay. So money in this situation, secular view, money is a bad thing. I mean, especially if you have a lot of it. But then, how much is a lot? You can't even. It's really even hard to define. Mm -hmm. Okay. But here, it's a matter of stewardship. Another difference. It's, uh, it's in the ingredient on the secular side because it's the it's the ones you know who's going to make it happen. The ones in power. Why do they make that happen? It gives them more power. Sure. Uh, the the rich are few, and so the masses, you know, let go and let gov to accomplish this goal. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a great point. Rather than making rich and poor. Now you've made people that are like subjects of the state and the political people. So you really haven't solved the problem. Does that make sense? Right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in other words, you're just kind of changing the, the perspective just a little bit. It's those in political power, like Josh said. Glad you brought that up, Josh. Or Josh. Thank you. Which one brought it up? You did? <laughs> <laughs> Josh did. I'm taking all the credit. Okay. <laughs> it was the good-looking Josh. <laughs> thank, oh, thank you so much. Oh, wait, we're, still, we're still not clear on which one we're talking about. <laughs> 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 it's been so when is it is it a good idea to give, to take care of these people? And then how does that happen? The Christian view, scripture says you do it by love. They don't make it compulsory. But secular view, they want to force you to do it. Yeah. Based upon whatever. And how well does that work? Doesn't work well. Who, makes, who gets mad? Everyone. Everyone usually. gets mad. Yeah. I don't Except for the people at the top because they have everything and they usually don't. The same people that want to do that, once they become, get in charge, they're actually worse because... They realize they can't distribute it well, and so they hoard it for themselves. The political people, that, that happens a lot in various countries. Well, with their Christian piece, with the love and take care, it's, it's my responsibility. Yes. And it's both of the justice responsibilities. Mm -hmm. like, we have individual responsibility to care for those folks. Versus secular, it's the government's responsibility. Yeah. So we out, with the secular, it's outsourced to a centralized <coughs> So I hope that makes a little bit of sense in terms of helping you decide, you know, that yes, I think social justice is a biblical thing, but it's done with an understanding that um, money is a good thing. It's not a, well, it can be an evil thing in the wrong hands, but we're stewards of money. And that uh, the responsibility is more individual or church as opposed to the government. 
Now, what's the implications of this? It may help you decide who to vote for or what legislation to vote for. See how the, see how the, the worldview kind of affects your thinking all the way down to this? Does that make sense? Zeker? Why do they call you Zeker? I don't know. Okay. Yes, we do. It's, when he was little, we called him Zeker Squeakers. <laughs> <laughs> and it got out. I don't know. I did not let it out. Yeah. It got out. I think we had yeah. 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 so many people lying. I don't. I actually don't think it was me. Yeah, so kind of the key is, is when we look at this, where government is the savior, and that's what government wants you to think is they're the savior, versus Christ who's the savior. These two kind of views, worldviews, are going to be in conflict forever, okay, until Christ come back, comes back again. But you can kind of see that this is like just one aspect of how to develop a worldview and seek to understand it, okay? Like I sat and listened to this girl talk for... I don't know, 20 minutes about what she thought a, um, uh, what social justice was. And then what I finally got down to is, is she thought it was more like communism. Then I, then I asked her what was her approach to try to solve it. And she actually kind of fell more on this side where it's an individual problem. And all I could say, and I, I, I called her out, I said, it sounds like communism. But when she got to this, I said, I believe that's the biblical way to do that. Just trying to encourage her, that's all. But it's, it's these two kind of conflicting worldviews on the subject of, you know, social justice that I think are kind of interesting. Ron? There, well, there's a part of the secular way I'd say that their instinct is accurate, but then fatally flawed. It's like, if you could come up with a perfect king, that may work. Just like what Josh was saying, nobody, as humans, we're all flawed, and so it ends up becoming more about power and, Greed, Christ is a perfect king. So Christ can cause the thing that they're wanting to happen. They're just trying to cause it through human means, which is always going to end in failure. Yeah. So there's a there's a piece of it where I can almost give them nods like, I see where you're going. It's just you, you'll never find it on earth. It's through yeah. Christ. That's another discussion that I had about this concept of kingdom, that even that... The, it's it's interesting. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm way over time here. But it's interesting how certain things sneak into thinking, even in Christian organizations, like this idea of a kingdom was a very negative thing. Like it kind of promotes this sort of suppression. You have people in a hierarchy. You know, they were talking about God's kingdom. They wanted to change it to something else called a, a kindom, K-I-N-D-O-M. The first time I heard this, I go, this is weird. I, I said to the, to the lady who was kind of talking about this, I really disagree with that. She says, it's okay, you can. But it's nice to just at least understand. I can kind of, you can kind of see where that came from, though. Is like this idea, I mean, there is, this is, it's kind of a social justice organization that we were working with. And not surprising that they came up with that sort of statement, which is wrong. Like Mr. Roberts said. Why do you say it's wrong? What's that? Why do you say it's wrong? Why do I say it's wrong yeah. for kingdom? Because I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong either. Uh, I think it's wrong because it's an incorrect view of who God is. He is a loving, but he has an architecture, God. right? He's already yeah. said the husband is here, the wife's here, the children are this. I think that's one of the reasons we'd say that, right? 
that's that's yes, that's one approach to, to look at it. But he is a loving, like to put, to Ron's point, Mr. Roberts, excuse me, um, Mr. Roberts, excuse me, and me, okay. But it, to to Mr. Roberts' point is that it's changing how it's actually changing the the view of who God is, a beloved, loving dictator, is what I would call I call God. I think that's accurate. Uh, he's the best kind of. I mean, that's what you would want for any boss, anybody who you work for or serve under, someone who loves you and cares you like family. I go, come on, this is easy. Anyway, Zaley, I had enough. Would <laughs> you pray? I would pray. Thank yeah. you. Right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we all get to join together today and listen to Larry preach um, and learn more, more about you. I pray that service will go well and that we will rejoice and praise you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.